Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love, and you are listening to Vodka O'Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Right now, you can sponsor the show and the website through Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com slash AmberUnmasked to pledge as little as a dollar per creation, which means that... Uh, Every time I upload something, that would be a, a, a Patreon uh, type of charge because the show is still free and the website is still free. But uh, if I put up a creation specifically on the Patreon account page there, uh, you would be willing to tip. It's basically like an online tip jar. So um, thank you for those of you who have already started sponsoring. It's uh, it's going to be really helpful, and I hope that uh, I'm, I'm providing the content that, that you want and that you're looking for. So without further ado, today my guest is Robin Seal, and Robin and I uh, are, are already willing to let you know that it's going to be an explicit website so, and podcast. So <laughs> if you're easily offended or under 18 and don't like dirty language, um, this is not the show for you. So <laughs> my grandma will Rob- be so disappointed. <laughs> Oh, Robin, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me. So I um, have been in, you know, interacting with you on, on Twitter a bit for a while now, and it's always great to just get introduced to new artists. And I went to your website to see, you know, because I, I know people that are like specifically comic book people. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that once in a while... It'll be like, oh, I have to go design a corporate logo to pay the bill. Right. Uh, so I was wondering, like, you know, how are, how do you identify your profession? I identify as a creative in general. Um, I'm kind of a jack of all trades uh, for my day job because I think that's that's going to come up a lot. Um, I do um, strategic communications, which is a very fancy title of creative. It does sound. It, yeah, it's it's got its own title and category and everything. It's so fancy. Um, but essentially, I will do design, video editing. Uh, at the moment, I'm drawing a comic for my work, which is pretty rad. Uh, but writing and just kind of handling uh, the marketing side of it. Um, and thankfully, I've I've been very lucky to be in a profession where I don't it it balances well with my ethics. Um, so I don't have Bill Hicks like kill yourself advertising just running in a loop in the back of my mind um Uh but uh in my spare time i um i do comics i do illustrations um i work on murals i you know it's it's one of those my life has kind of led me to not be so concentrated as just a comic book artist or just as an illustrator so well, I think that you have a pretty awesome job title because it sounds like you're a spy. Mm. Oh my gosh, yes, that would be so cool! It's, like, like you're you're code breaking or something. Yeah. You're at strategic communications, mistress of CMSs. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dinosaur wrangler. I want that on my business cards. I can't quite convince them to get it yet, but that's that's okay. One day. <laughs> yeah. So do you? Um, do comic book conventions? Um, I I used to, um, and I've I've been in a situation for this last year where I took um, I took about a year off um, to not focus on deadlines or anything like that, um, and to get my mental health and physical health um, 
figured out to the point where I can do conventions again. Um, so the answer is yes, but probably not for a little while. Okay. Because I, you know, I figured that you had a, like a, a, a Comic-Con specific business card so that you could put dinosaur rank. I could. Here. Yes. There, there is always the future. I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite convention that you're aiming to get back to? Um, I really love Staple. Um, it's a really cool, like, I like the atmosphere of it. Um, I'm not, and Portland, uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of like little conventions that I love small press conventions. They're so fun and you get to learn so many things about like so many smaller creatives and it's, it's great. Um, and also to see like people just roaming around cosplaying for comics, it's, it is my favorite. So I don't have one in specific, but I'd love to start doing small press conventions again. They are a lot of fun. It's a different vibe mm-hmm. when you don't have to try to uh, basically elbow crush, get crushed your way through aisles of, um, you know, like video games and vendors and um, people dancing and competitions and things like that just to try to find the comic book people. Oh, definitely. But I, I love bigger conventions, too, but going as a guest because um, I like yeah. it's so great for people watching. Oh, my gosh. I love cosplayers and the amount of work that they put into the costumes. It's fancy. Yeah. I, I tend to find, you know, it's like I'll, I'll do what I have to up in the, the other areas. Like, well, and I, I don't know how other big shows are. The sure. only one I've been to is, is New York as far as bigness right. goes. Um, so they have, like, the comic book people, like, in their own world. Yeah. And um, then they have things like the video games and uh uh, they have small press, oddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, up there as well. And then, then the big video game companies, and then the big huge comic book companies. Oh sure. And then, and then the artist alley is mm-hmm. like way off in the annex. Right. <laughs> um, so it's it it is like the the cosplay world uh, has been really uh, a big part of my life. But there's been ah, there's I'm glad to hear that you know you as a as an artist appreciate it because we've just. Um, like every year, there's always somebody who just goes off on some tirade about how cosplayers are ruining conventions. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think that's just more of a rabbit rabbit. Things are changing, and I don't like it. Uh, sort of tantrum is how I tend to view it. Because <laughs> I I I find it impossible. Like if you put in, I, how long do your costumes take to make? Um. Well, it depends because I do. I usually do pretty simple superhero sure. costumes, um, but it, it sounds easy. Like if I can assemble the spandex suit part in a day or two, it sounds like oh well, you didn't work very hard on it. But like for my rogue outfit yeah. that I used to wear all the time, it took me two years to get the pieces that I wanted. Oh yeah. So I mean, it it seemed like oh I just put it together overnight. But I, I didn't like, you know, it took me a long time to find the wig that I wanted and then a long time to, you know, like, you know, then I finally was able to get the the belt buckle made by somebody who makes props. And, oh, yeah. And even just yeah. like it sewing spandex, it's so hard. That fabric is so stretchy and I'm not I don't have enough patience to sew things just like on things. I can't. I tried sewing spandex once and I just rage quit. I flipped a table and I was like, I'm done forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So like that's me with every costume. Oh yeah, there's always that <laughs> moment. So yeah, no, I mean anyone that puts in that much time and dedication and like enthusiasm and like can get dressed up and go to a convention, that's amazing. I I I cannot see anything wrong with that. How long have you been um, in the whole comic book convention world? Oh, I've been doing it uh, off and on since 2009. Um, I've been drawing comics since I was 12. Uh, I got serious about it uh, after I graduated college, and I really I went uh, through a bad relationship, and I came out, and I was like, I'm going to do this for me. Uh, and it's been awesome, and I've regretted nothing since. Um <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it's been really amazing to just create and tell stories that resonate with people and um, tell stories that I want to read. And I think that's quite different from, I mean, there's there's a bunch of great creators and writers. And I think sometimes that there is a glut of uh, women telling stories. And this is less prevalent in indie comics um, or queer people telling comic telling stories or, you know, people of color telling stories. And I love all of those because it's such a different perspective and it's not just, you know, escapism. And I love, I love superhero comics too, but it's, that's not, that's not my general form of escapism. You like the, uh, the slice of life, like real world type stories. Uh, I like, yeah, I mean, I, I like, currently on my, like, I will read every week, um, Megan Rose Gedris has Mediogurt, um, I read, you know, Dresden Kodak, obviously, um, Aaron Mellis does, uh, Next Town Over, which is like a spaghetti western, kind of superhero steampunky, it's really cool, um, Sean Gaston has, uh, Clockworks, which he's been working on. It's a steampunk comic. Um, it's got great art. Uh, Red Moon Rising. It's it's more just I like I like diverse comics. Um, I I have some slice of life like questionable content, girls with slingshots, all of that um, in my list. Um, but I try to kind of cast my net far and wide to pull the best. Do you think that like the comics industry is Improving? Yes. Okay. I think, um, and I think this is really the the birth of the internet, um, has dropped the cost of entry um, down to this industry. Like, the indie comics, quote unquote, indie industry is, like, just blown up because you're not, um, you're not, if you have like a website and you can just post it up and you have access to Twitter and Facebook and you know, you do a good product, um, you will get like, you'll get a following and you'll get some core core readers who are just amazing. And I, I think sometimes like it tends to focus on bad readers um, or readers that rage quit or don't like what you say or, and I think that's the natural tendency to just kind of, like one note negative thing outweighs like a hundred positive. Um, right. And uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of fan entitlement. <laughs> oh my gosh. So much. Um, but that's not the majority. Like that's really, yeah. it's, and 
I was very lucky when I had a regular webcomic is I had, and I still have really cool core readers that, you know, they'll poke in like a year later and be like, hey, what's up? You know, what are you doing with your work? You know, and it's really cool to me to see that, like, you're connecting with this audience of human beings that you have no idea where they're at. Like, having someone, the coolest moment is, like, I had someone come up and they were wearing my shirt. And I'd never met them before. And it was, I kind of nerd, I nerded out, like, really hard. That's I'm fantastic. Just like, oh <laughs> so cool. Um, and I probably came off as super weird, but I was just really excited. <laughs> I think that that is an exciting moment. It's that's gotta feel amazing. Mm-hmm. I we were talking about you know like the the notion of fan entitlement and everything, and um, because we we saw you know the the last uh, I don't know few weeks or whatever the 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 raging of ruining people's childhoods because <laughs> the the new the new Ghostbusters is going to be all women. Um, you know, like, all they're going to be doing is throwing tampons at ghosts or something. <laughs> I hadn't seen that one. That's... No, it's that's like... So no, like, the most ludicrous things. Like, well, somebody wrote up a fake leaked script. Like, it didn't even have character names. It just used, like, the real actresses' names. Oh. And it was just so funny. And... I guess it's... maybe it would be, like, super absorbent for ectoplasma. <laughs> oh, maybe there you go. the tampon commercials instead of the blue stuff. Just have, like neon green pink sli- or neon green and pink slime and be like so yeah. absorbent look at that oh my god there yeah there's just <laughs> like like how is it ruining something uh, like somebody and i'm not sure if this statistic is accurate because i didn't uh, you know I, I didn't go and check it or anything sure. but i trust i trust people said. the internet said i trust people who do video game research more than because i don't have that much interest in it sure. but um so somebody said, like, only 4% of video games out there have playable female characters. So basically, shut the fuck up when a, a gaming company announces, hey, we've got a transgender character. Hey, we've got a female character. It's like, you know, the girls aren't coming and taking over your playhouse because a character was added oh. <laughs> when you have, like, 96% of the content. Yeah, and I think, I think it, what was it? Um, there was a research done where... Uh, men, if there were 17% or more of females in the audience or in that pool of what they were looking at, they perceived it as like there were way, like the majority were women. Um, yeah, I remember that study uh-huh. that they showed, they showed um, like pictures of crowds or something. And when it actually was 50-50, they just felt like women were taking over the whole thing. Oh, sure. I mean, and the same, you saw the same, the same tantrum as it, were and it what it really is is like we're always excited about dead franchises and we're always like super unhappy with the results like we're like yeah akira and then you're like it's all whitewashed um yeah like yeah four and then they got upset as i just elba elba being cast as heimdall like it doesn't matter <laughs> you're getting yeah. you're getting what you want but it's not exactly a one-to-one ratio which i never quite understood because that would be super boring to me. That'd be like, if I wanted to reread the original book, I would just, like, I'd just go to the, read the book again. I'd watch the movie again. It, it was interesting because I can remember, um, I think it was, uh, I either want to say ninth grade or 10th grade, that we were assigned to read The Hobbit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I don't remember ever thinking about anything 
like diversity. This mm-hmm. was, you know, a hundred years ago because I'm old. Um, but I don't remember wondering where are the female characters. I just took it at face value that this is what story is. Yeah. And I, I think that's one of those, like, they're, and I, and I can see it with um, comic writing and story, like a lot of the novels that are coming out, there is a lot more diversity in it. And they're specifically saying, you know, that, uh, you know, this character is African American or this character is Asian or this character is transgender. Um, and there are cognitive choices being made to include that diversity. And sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work as well because it's, you know, in the same way as like they write a female character, but it's, it's really just like a dude with yeah, like it, boobs. Um, it's interchangeable. And, yeah. And like there you- are, like there are females like that. I'm not going to say there aren't, but like sometimes you'll you'll get creatives that you know will write a story or tell a story that with quote unquote diversity, but they haven't done any research um, to you know kind of see life from a different perspective. But there are a lot of writers and a lot of um, comic book artists and a lot of you know, who do that research and they really, you know, strive to tell those stories accurately and with an earnestness, earnestness that is great. Definitely. I love to see when, um, you know, you mentioned Daniel Corsetto's Girls with Slingshots and there's, there's an artist who really gets it. Like she really gets different body types and personalities. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She, uh, like she, she can write in so many different voices that it's really amazing. And I think it's, you know, she's been doing it for what, like eight years now. Feel, yeah. It feels like forever. Yeah. Uh, since and I think she's time. wrapping it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, but uh, I, I noticed lately she's been posting like figure drawing sketches and it's like, Oh yeah, you can do that. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's actually a really cool uh, movement called uh, non-identicate. Yes, I have followed that. And I've been I've been doing it myself and it's so fun because really the gist of it was to get like diversity. So not just your standard same face, you know, pouty lips, tiny nose, you know, symmetrical features. Um and I think Sarah McIntyre was the one that started it. I could be wrong. Uh but she does uh Cakes in Space and Jampires. Um but she started this, and it's it's so much fun, and I've been participating in it. Um, and really, all I've been doing is like been I've been trolling the no selfie tag on Instagram and like mom tags, um, and just picking out people that up like there are some people that are like no selfie with like makeup, and you're like not yeah. not quite. You tried, but they um, and just seeing you know the amazing amount of diversity and noses and faces, and it's. I mean, there's there's such a wealth of, um, like, humanity that yeah, I think, a good way of yeah, and I think really, like, those choices to be more diverse and to, you know, show more than just the ideal actually resonates better with human beings, like, people. Because well, I, th- I think diversity is unfortunately becoming a bad word, like, feminism became a bad word. Sure. And, you know, the points that, that you're making, um, these are the sorts of things that get lost when people suddenly uh, begin I- identifying these, like it's 
something bad happening to them or something being taken away from their life. Oh, sure. And, you know, nobody's saying there should never be, you know, women who fit your definition of beauty. We're saying that that's not the only definition of beauty. And uh, with the non-identicate, part of it that, uh, you know, really the, the core that I took away from it was that cartoonists and artists in particular just get used to drawing two figures. Sure. You have, or maybe three, because you have your kid figure, you have your male figure, and you have your female figure. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we see this even in, you know, famous comic book artists like Jim Lee. You can take a, a Superman drawn by him and put it on top of a Batman drawn by him, and it is the same exact figure. Oh, sure. And there, there's a reason for that. I mean, I, it's not... I don't think it's conscious, like, I'm just going to learn to draw these two figures. But if you're putting out, like, 24-page comics every month, like, right. you get really good at certain figures and certain... And then once you start throwing in body diversity and, you know, ethnicity and all of that other... Those other aspects in, it becomes a lot harder. Um, and I've noticed... Right. And, and they're talking about, you know, oh, well, this is human perfection. This is, you know... Yeah what this is going to look like. And then you have to be able to know that figure inside out from every single angle. Right. So it is, it is a challenge and it's a lot to ask mm -hmm. of an artist. Oh yeah. But I, I know when I see a, a character and I, and I, I don't know how to pronounce the, this artist's last name, but it's Gary Erskine, I think. Um, I only know him from Twitter, so I don't know how to say his last <laughs> name, but uh, he does like a, a roller derby comic. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's constantly posting these amazing different characters because every one of them will be a derby girl that looks different from the last one. Yeah. Well, and that's, I, I actually skated in roller derby um, and I will shout out to Como Derby Dames. Um, cool. And that was one of the really great things about skating with roller derby is everyone had a different, you know, everyone was at a different level in their fitness and everyone had like, different bodies and you know tattoos and crazy hair and some of them were like chemists that did it on their spare time like it was such a different range of um women that it was impossible like and i think i think my issue with um the body and the fitness and all of that is there are microaggressions against women like you you you're like oh you know Skinny girls look good in clothes, but fit girls look good naked. And it's like that. Right. Yeah, that doesn't. That is a weird microaggression that just doesn't need to happen. Like all bodies are awesome. And uh, actually, did I was doing a figure drawing, and one of my coworkers saw it. Saw it, and I was drawing, um, you know, bigger ladies. And she was like, "Oh, you know, that's so. I'm so sorry you had to do that." And I was like. That's, she's like, didn't you have any other models to look at? I was like, what, what? No, I like, like, I like the challenge. I like learning how, because, yeah, fat works differently for a lot of people. Like, it rolls differently depending on your body type and where it stacks up and, you know. Well, even real breath. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. That's something that, you know, is generally lost in the comic book world. If I had one superpower... <laughs> Um, it would be to, like, just cleanse the world of, like, that tight-fitting under-boob, like, where it looks like it's just <laughs> suction down on their boobs. Like, half-melon yeah. stuck. 
And it's 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 one of those like I don't like Wonder Woman. I don't understand how she can fly through the air like without her her shirt just coming down to her waist. Because I've tried to wear corsets and yeah, you can't. Yeah, fight I know. Like if you're boob- you can't fight in anything strapless. It's a ridiculous notion. Oh yeah, or heels. Oh my gosh. I mean, you can't even go swimming. So imagine flying at a particular velocity. Exactly. Like 50 miles an hour, just like flap, 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 flap. Because if you've ever worn a strapless bathing suit and dove into a pool, you all know. Like you got to grab it. Like you grab you the boots and your yeah, the, nose at the last minute. Yeah. Everybody's going to stare at the pool until the girl comes back out because you know her, her, her suit's going to be there. Right. So, yeah, there's no way that these strapless uh, superhero suits are. But, you know, and, and that's the joy and the fantasy of it. No, and, and that's that's what's really great about um, all of the new comics, like, that are coming out is a lot of them, like, the new Batgirl. Oh, my gosh. Like, and, and yeah, and they remade Spider-Woman. So glad. Yeah. And the Gwen Spider-Woman that, you know, there's so many, like, really practical sort of aspects to it. And I'm really glad that we're not, you know, doing the, you know, covering everyone up in body armor. Um and we're also not doing the boots. But it's more than a naked colored form. Yes. Well, and I think, like, that was how superheroes were drawn originally. Like, even the men. Had, oh, absolutely. It, you know, it was just painted on colored form. And um, I like that there's a lot more consciousness of, you know, is this... Because they're trying instead... Of, and comic books have always, like, matched the era. Um or have tried to match the era. For example, like, 70s Wonder Woman had, like, a bi- white business suit, um, and she, like, fair faucet hair. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, she had, like, uh, she had a wardrobe, first of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and she was uh, temporarily, you know, had kung fu powers instead of superpowers. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah, but her, but she did have a killer, you know, wardrobe yeah, for the time. She did, and she had like very um, timely issues of trying to. I think the seventies, if I remember correctly, was um, she's trying to balance like being this superwoman and having a career, and you know, being feminine. Um, right. And I I like that, you know, like Gail like the Batgirl our Batwoman was focusing on, you know, having relationships. And it's not, I have a theory about um, the new Batwoman of, like, why she was so widely accepted. Um, If you, do you remember the early Batwoman? Where, like, her... Which early do you mean? Uh, (laughs) I remember the J.H. Williams, or I, or I remember, like, the way old, like, original Batwoman that wore yellow. Oh, um, where, like, Batwoman was just, like, trying to trick Batman, and, like, and they did the same with Lois Lane. Like, all of the terrible Lois Lane things, and where Superman is being a huge jerk, came from, like, this Lois Lane comic, and it was terrible. And it was, like, these women were written and designed to, uh, just, like, get the guy, like, get the superhero, make him stop doing superhero-y stuff. Um, yeah. Batwoman was an exception because she was trying to do that, but, like, she also, she would hang up her cape for him. He would be like, no, no, it's, yeah, thank you for helping me and saving me with that one thing, but, uh, now it's time for you to put your cape away. Go make me a sandwich. And she's like, okay, fold up stuff. Um, right, yeah, so that's the really, really old version, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, the I love the new version is because she's not, 
she's not a sexual, like, she's not a love interest for Batman. She has her right. own identity outside of a dude. Yeah, it's sort of like a bat theme, yeah. but doesn't really have anything to do to do with him. Yeah. And plus they made her a lesbian then. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of lesbian Batwoman. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty sexy. Mm-hmm. What other characters, one of the reasons that, that you and I started talking uh, to get you on the show was we were discussing what it's like to be in the, the comic book field or a creative field with a disability. Sure. And uh, comic books have, they they have a range in a way, like they have this diversity uh, and a lot of it ends up being metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, like the X-Men. Yeah. But on the other hand, then you have you have ones that are more authentic and genuine, like like Batgirl when she became Oracle because she was in a wheelchair. So, you know, what are you willing to talk about as far as like your own health and your own process? Oh, I'm honestly I'm willing to talk about anything. So uh, okay. So what um, you know what what's your life like? Sure. Um, I have. Um, fibromyalgia and I've had it for 18 years now um so it's like a baby that just lives in my house and will not get a job (laughs) um (laughs) but I've had fibromyalgia and with that it's it the main like the most most people know about it is I have like daily daily migraines um and it used to be um and thankfully I've I've been able to get on medicine that works better for me but it used to be like uh five o'clock in the evening after I got done with work I would go home and my migraines would get so bad where I'd go blind um I would just black out uh which does inhibit the creative process a smidge yeah I imagine that it's Um, really hard to, to draw yeah um but with also with that comes like depression and anxiety which also like really impacted um how much I could do in a day. And for a long time, um, it was just, it was very, very survival based of like, you know, you had to ment like, and I think there's this, uh, there is a struggle that mostly goes unknown by, um, very healthy people that you have to prove that you're sick enough to, you know, get the time off from work or to for people to feel like you're not faking it, but also not you you simultaneously have to be like, but I'm not I'm not that sick. I'm I'm not a worth and I think there's a lot of worth that goes along with um what you can produce as a human being. Um so that you have to be like, I'm not worth it worthless. I'm worth you giving me a job because I'm good at what I do. Um and so that that is a real continuous struggle um, for me. And I've done, you know, this last year I've had to really focus on, you know, uh, kind of remodifying how I viewed my own perspective of success and, you know, come to terms with there, I can't do all the things that I want to do. So what can I do? What can I do best? You know, and how can I be happy with my life as it currently is and to keep myself in the best condition that I can be in? With this 
illness that you have with fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. um, so you're going to have good days and you're going to have mediocre days yeah. and you're going to have days that are, you know, mm-hmm. are, are, are impossible. So, um, aside from not, like, aside from the physical part of being able to work and make comics and draw sure. or create a, create a design or something like that, how has it influenced your work? Uh, I think it's really, um, it's made me, it, in the beginning, I think, um, I did things very black and white. Um, just, that's because because that's how my life was. Um, I think when you're in the midst of depression and anxiety and anxiety, things are very black and white for your perspective. Um, things are good or they're bad or they're, you know, so it it creates this one dimensional character. Um, but after time and, you know, not having that panic to, um, you know, get things done on a deadline so much, um, it's allowed me to really, kind of notice that there most things exist somewhere in the middle. Um, and that's what I really love about, you know, writing. And now it's just kind of like there are good people that are in, you know, do shitty things. And it's not out of an inherent malice. And I think I think that's like it differentiates between like super like superhero tales where someone's like obviously all good or all bad or you know there's less I kind of liked um and I wish uh what sorry my brain's not working uh the glittery black Batgirl villain was her name? oh dagger type yeah dagger type um and with the problems of how that was uh handled notwithstanding um and we can talk about that later but I liked the idea of like someone's not a villain because they're you know because they're driven by their own mental need to satisfy something um for dagger type it was like recognition um even if it was like aping the style of bat bat girl you know is that is the recognition for you know i'm doing this thing and i'm fabulous um and i think and i i really enjoy writing those um kind of ethical gray areas where you you know you sympathetic you have to simultaneously like maybe you don't agree with what your protagonist does but if you follow the logic and you know like the backstory and you know the impulses you can be empathetic with it um and i i really feel like my condition has made me empathetic to a lot of different spectrums of life. And it's allowed me to be like, um, to focus and, um, enjoy on the, the fringe voices that aren't, that don't get center stage as much. Um, for example, like telling stories about, you know, um, people like in Ferguson and, you know, being able to, listen is really I, I think that's where I'm going with it uh, I think that's a really cool um, skill that some people miss mm-hmm. uh, observing you know observing that world uh, you know maybe artists do it better than other people because it's kind of it's kind of what they do when you think about somebody who sits and paints sure uh, and you know maybe that's something that other people just don't 
have whatever coding was <laughs> in the brain to do that. Sure. I, I think that's, you're correct. Like, there's definitely that, you know, since you're observing, like, how they're doing this. Um, but I think also just life situation. Um, for example, if you have lived a life of privilege, you, it, it's never been brought up to you as this is a thing. Um, so, and I think that's where we run into, like, there's comic book authors and comic book, you know, illustrators and going back to the, um, you're ruining my conventions by doing these things. It's not, I don't, I don't think it's an inherent value of, I, I don't think, I think the artist empathetic, um, it's correlative, but it's not ca- causative, ca- causative. My bad. <laughs> uh, English is good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Words are hard. I'm a writer. I know. Yeah. Um, but so I think that there is, yes, there's a tendency if you're, if your goal is to observe and to reflect that, um, you're also more open to observing why people are like that, you know, to get to know the stories behind the people that you're observing. I think you also have to have a component of just life experience where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you you can be this one type of person on the inside, but present totally different. Like there is that duality that I think people can understand a little bit better if they've been. I think, yeah, I think that's a real uh, fundamental aspect to comics as a whole is, is, um, you know, and not all of them because some of them are, um, you know, you have noir comics sure. and, and you have zombie comics and you have different kinds of comics, but, um, the crime fighter comics, a lot of times have that masked identity and the whole, the whole concept of alter ego. And it's done with the villains. It's done with the heroes. Um, sometimes it's done uh, for protection purposes or it's done for somebody else's protection and um, now we have the internet where people basically have multiple personalities. Oh, yeah. They have, like, multiple accounts. Like, they'll have throwaway accounts where they'll tell, you know, stories that they won't tell, like, to Facebook, like, to the people they actually interact with every day. They won't show that part of themselves. It's it's a very interesting, like, idea of compartmentalizing. It is. Um, and I'm not sure if... Uh, you know, I'm not sure what uh, what that would do to a superhero. You know, like uh, I watch Arrow. Do mm-hmm. you watch that? Yes. Well, I'm behind. I watch it on Netflix. So I, I just, <laughs> Me too. So I just watched I just watched season two, and every episode, someone else was in the Arrow cave, mm-hmm. and I and I'm just like, how many people are in on this secret? This is not so much a secret anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. And, you know, and Batman sort of was getting to be the same way. And I haven't seen The Flash, but, I, you know, I know he's, there's no such thing as a lone wolf. Yeah. Even even with lone wolf characters. Like Batman, that was supposed to be, like, this thing was this dark brooding. Yeah, like he had you know. Alfred. That yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, but even, like, Alfred didn't go out on the, the crime solving with him. He did it from back home in the mansion or from the car or whatever. And it's, I don't. I, I think that uh, our humanity 
is going to make sure that it, even with alter egos, we're still a whole being and, and that there's no such thing as completely dissociated. Yeah, and I think, honestly... Unless you have the disorder. I'm not, oh. I'm not saying that's not... Yeah. yeah. I'm just talking about, like, a, a, you know, a, a healthy person who's trying to mask who they sure. are. And I think, I think that's a really key... And I, I don't mind when everyone's in the Batcave and it's like, party! Um, I wonder if he has, like, the little Batcave popcorn, little Batcave fortune cookies. Anyway, I, I like my idea of Batman as a Susie Homemaker. Really into souffles. But... <laughs> Yeah, see, I always think of Alfred bringing him stuff on trays, and oh, he never eats, yeah, never eats anything. <laughs> um, but I, I think that idea is kind of lost in superhero comics, um, where, and it's sometimes lost. It's not always, um, but that, and it's sort of like a myth, and that's part that lone wolf, like, you don't need anyone else, I think it it does appeal to people that feel isolated and that they, you know, to kind of bolster themselves to be like, I'm okay with my loneliness. I'm, you know, I can do things by myself. And I think that's, you know, we are currently in a culture where, you know, things aren't sold to us for, like, you know, drink Pepsi because it tastes good. It's like, no, drink Pepsi because you can instantly... A celebrity told you to. <laughs> well, you can instantly start a party by drinking Pepsi, and you can have this instant human connection without, you know, without oh, yeah, the entire... in the work to build those relationships. Yeah. Um, and you kind of... The entire beauty and weight loss industry makes billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Like, you'll have more fans, and yeah. And I think... I think some aspects of comics really focus on that, you know, if you're a superhero, then you can do all these cool things and you'll be instantly recognized and people will love you or they'll hate you and you'll get a lot of attention, but there's not that healthy, and I I think I like the struggle of, you know, trying to balance that with having healthy relationships because Batman didn't for a really long time and except with Alfred. Um, and it's so, like, I I would love to see more comics go into, you know, what does that really do to your mental health of having that secret identity but not being able to, you know, to tell someone about it or, you know, to, I, I, I really feel like hiding key aspects of yourself and, trying to do it all on your own is like kind of like that American dream of like you can be anything you want and do it yourself and that's not that's not reality that's not anyone's reality unless you're just fun baby and then you've already benefited from someone else because they've generously given you a lot of their money right and uh, and that's you know, part of what makes comics and all fiction so wonderful is the escapism, uh-huh. that the fantasy that we can dream of. Uh, you know, there certainly there's fiction that's full of bad, horrible stories. Oh, sure. Uh, but there's, uh, you know, but when we think about the, the good guys winning or we think about having superpowers or when we think about the wealth of people like Batman and, and Iron Man, um, even the intelligence is a superpower. Oh, definitely. That that they have. Um, do you 
have any characters? Um, I, I know that you said that you love Batwoman, but do you have any characters that you find relatable because of your fibromyalgia? Like, do you is, is there somebody out there, even if it's not the same disease? I'm not saying that there's sure. a character with it, but just that you say, okay, this character struggles the way that I struggle. Sure, um, there are a few. I think uh, Oracle is a really good example um, because she's physically limited from doing things. Um, and I, I really loved her. Um, I really liked how that character evolved because like she became like this mother character to this entire team. And she became, she may not have been the one, you know, throwing the punches, but she was still an integral part of the team and, you know, the team's health. And I think that aspect of, you know, you can, even if you're not contributing in the way you want to or the way that is customary, you can still contribute and you can still be a complete person and a complete character. Um, uh, Birds of Prey was what I was thinking of. But yeah, she... Um, so you feel that Oracle was like a maternal type of character? Yeah. I, I, like she was more of a mentor. And I've, I've found in my own life like, maybe I can't, you know, I can't do all the things and I can't, you know, go to all the parties and be super amazing and produce all the things that I want. But with, you know, I related to that really hard because with my friends, like, someone could talk to me and be like, hey, this is a really terrible thing in my life or, hey, this is a conflict that I'm going through. And, you know, having the experience of just sitting there and observing you can come up with, like, alternatives and, like, maybe you should think about it this way or have you considered this? And it, it was really, I think there are, that support skill um, is what resonated well with me because I love helping other people. Um, and see, what else? Um, well, I know, I, like, the... The, the thing that makes Oracle so identifiable is that she's in a wheelchair and she's a computer genius expert type person and, and she can still fight from her wheelchair. So did you go to a traditional art school? I did not. I actually, um, I considered it. Um, and then I was in a position where I really had to pay for my own college. Um, okay. And I could not bring myself to go to an art school just because I knew statistics. <laughs> yeah, um, right. So. Well, I was wondering if... Um, because I because I model at art schools, I um, I wondered, you know, if they ever made any effort to bring in people maybe with wheelchairs or prosthetics or something to give that training the way that they train people to hey draw different bodies. Sure. Do they ever? I've never, in my experience, never seen anyone talk about that it, that they even try to bring mm -hmm. in models with disabilities. Um, for my art classes now. I've, they always brought in able-bodied people. Um, so Dr. Sketchies oh, yeah. tend Sketchies to like, pull in a lot more body diversity people. I don't, you know, I can't speak to the specifics of whether or not they would have, you know, people in wheelchairs and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, because that's sort of like a volunteer thing. Yeah. Like Dr. Sketchies and Drink and Draw are, sure. um, if, if people aren't familiar, that's when you go to a public, a public place like a bar, and uh, usually the artists or whoever is participating will pay like a maybe a small cover charge. 
and there'll be ad hoc modeling. And down in, at, I think it's either Savannah or Atlanta, the Mellow Mushroom like does the most amazing job of this because I see pictures of my friends who model there. And these are they get cosplayers to put on costumes and uh, model on top of a bar, and you know people get to draw them for a couple of hours uh-huh. doing you know different poses and things. So the Doctor Sketches that I got to do out in Pittsburgh was kind of similar. We had them in different places, and. Um, you know, one time I wore a superhero outfit, but there were derby girls, um, there, uh, you know, there's a sort of burlesque flair in a lot of them, mm-hmm. and uh, so you do get different looking people, you'll get different types of clothing to practice drawing, and it's the, it is the sort of environment where if you said, you know, hey, I, you know, I happen to have one arm, and I want to, you know, model, can I do that? Well, yeah, there's uh, you know, if CoverGirl doesn't want to give you a contract <laughs> there, you can still be a model. You can still just do it. You have to, you know, you have to do it because you enjoy doing it. But uh, sketches and drink and draw places are, um, they're a good way to get in to see if you even enjoy. Oh, definitely. Enjoy, enjoy drawing it and enjoy modeling. And I think, as- yeah, and I think that you're correct. It does take, it. it is mostly volunteer based. Um, and I can definitely see where, you know, if you're being, if you have a physical, def- I guess, deformity, that's there's probably a more politically correct way to say it. But it's like if you're not the norm, you're going to be looked at a lot by people that don't quite want to make your eye contact or they'll like if they do, they'll act, like look away and they won't talk to you and they don't view. I can see where like you won't you don't feel like you're going to be viewed as a human being. Um, Whereas an artist, if you're modeling and you have a disability like that, they're intentionally looking at you. Yeah, and, and I think <laughs> the difference of like looking at you and seeing you, and those are two entirely different things. Of like you can look at someone, but to actually see someone as a human being, that's um, that's a different. Like one has a human connection, one totally doesn't. Um, and I I would love to see more people you know, with disabilities get in and start modeling because I I want to draw you if you have that. Like just Yeah, otherwise you have to um, Yeah, you have to rely on stock through, photos and those Yeah, you have to go through photo reference. Yeah. Yeah. Uh there's uh there actually is a, a Twitter feed called Models of Diversity where they will um they will often showcase people with uh prosthetics, for example. I believe the guy's name that they show a lot is Jack Ayers, I think is how his what his last name is pronounced. Um, but anyway, he's like one of these like stunningly fit, healthy, muscular, looks like a superhero who happens to have one leg as a prosthetic. Mm-hmm. It's something that when you're when you have a character like Oracle, um, it's important to make sure that the research is right. Um, you know, maybe you can't be perfect about it, but there's I don't know. I, I think it's really. I, I think I think the ease of Twitter and stuff like that is. Uh, I don't know. Maybe as an artist, I don't know if you've ever had to do it, but just like give a shout out and be like, you know, hey, I need to draw a you know a, a person who who can't walk right now. What I you know, can anybody answer some questions or something? Oh yeah, crowdsourcing is amazing for that, and I think, and Twitter is actually I, I find Twitter to be better than other yeah, social media think- networks for that. Um, 
and I, I really, I was told once where I shouldn't write a character because I, I just, I, I didn't understand it. Um, and I don't, I think I, I understand where that, uh, the person that told me that was coming from and that, you know, if you don't do your research, it can honestly be more harm than good. For example, uh, dagger. Dagger type. Yeah, dagger type was not handled well. And, you know, had they just given that script to someone someone who was transgender, they would be like, oh, yeah, no, no, don't write that. That's terrible. Um, and I think, I, I think there is an ethical responsibility that comes along with it. But also, you know, you have the understanding that you can't tell a universal story. Because all of the people, you know, my experience with fibromyalgia is entirely different from my mom's. Like, it's just, you can't give everyone what they want, but you can, you know, you can try your best to give them what they need. I I think that, like, from my perspective as a writer, I, I kind of feel like I'd be willing to take the risk at getting something wrong and getting it out there mm-hmm. and then getting the feedback and saying, okay, tell me where I was wrong and I'll do better yeah. versus not trying at all, right. which I think is, I think is the status quo um, that we were in up uh, until about like uh, the last year yeah. or so. Oh, definitely. Like now, now creators in, in comics and, you know, and even television creators and stuff are, are getting more open-minded about, well, I'll, I'll at least try. Like the, yeah. there was a TV show. It only got one season. It was called black box. Um, and it was about a, a, a woman with mental illness who was a world renowned surgeon because of course she was and um she had a bipolar disorder and there was a lot of backlash that they were glamorizing it because her mania and this is what mania does often makes people hypersexual mm-hmm. so people were saying oh you're making this mental illness look sexy and it was it was kind of awkward because yeah, they they were making this character very sexy and desirable and hypersexual and um, had no boundaries with her sexuality, but at the same time, they did it because there are people who actually experience bipolar in that way. Oh, sure. And so uh, despite their research and despite how many people they talk to trying to get a good TV show about a person with this illness, it failed. Oh, yeah. You know, but they tried. Yeah, and I think, yeah, I mean, and really as a creator, you have to accept you're going to get some stuff wrong. Like, just, you're not, you cannot be perfect, like, because you're human. Um, But that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do it. And, you know, it's really, like, do your research, tap in, like, if you have friends with disabilities or if you have, you know, trans friends or if you have, if you're writing a gay character or if you're writing someone of a different ethnicity, just tap into them. Just be like, hey, I want to do a good job with this. Um, I want to represent someone, you know, and I want to make sure that I have this experience as accurately as I can be. Um, and I think with, like, Black Box... Yeah, there are a lot of people that have that hypersexual um, aspect with mania because that's eh, 
you're correct. That's what it does. Um, but if you if you don't tap into someone else, you'll never know. Like, hey, that you know, hypersexuality has a definite downside. This is what it is. Um, right, and they did give her consequences. I mean, it ruined her relationship. Sure. Um, and I think the same. Like, I think that's very similar to the same idea of like monk or where you have someone like they're a mental disabled savant or right. Even how, yeah. Like, like, and it's, it's one of those, it's sort of made them more like an advantage. Right. And I think sometimes people, at least for me, when I, you know, when I saw house and I was like, you know, I thought it was really cool and it's, it's really interesting to see someone struggle with, drug abuse and depression and all of these things. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel sometimes it gives a false narrative that, and it creates like this idea where, you know, people create who their, their ideas of success based on what they see. Um, so for example, if you have a lot of depression and you're struggling with, you know, drug addiction. Um, house is not, house may not be the best thing for you to, you know, that if that is the only thing that you're going to watch, you're going to get really upset with yourself because you're going to hold yourself to this weird house standard of, you know, that person is written by 10 other people. Like, that's not, right. you know, and for the sake of the story, they can't just have, you can't, lose everything just because you know you've messed up because then the series wouldn't continue um do you think that um at some point creators are somewhat untouchable in their mistakes because they're you know really popular well-known and successful um i think they want to be untouchable um and i think I think part of what it is is because the internet is not nuanced in their criticisms. No, I, it's, they don't hold it's back very at black all. and white. It's all or nothing. You know, you're either, you know, all on the side of person X or you totally hate them and you wish that they would die. Um, and so I think the more nuanced criticisms of, you know, I think this is problematic or this doesn't really accurately express the experience, um, I think that gets lost in the noise. Um, and part of that is just the medium in which we communicate. 140 characters is not enough, you know, is not enough time or space to really get out a nuanced argument. Um, and I, and I think a lot of creators will just kind of haters going to hate. Right. Um, and that, I don't know that that's helpful, but I understand why is because if you put anything out and I'm sure um, you've experienced this, um, if you put something out, there's going to be like that one person that's just like, oh, you're too fat or oh, you did this wrong or, you know, they'll criticize for no for no reason. Like if right. you don't like it, just don't consume but, it. Yeah, it, it's just for existing. Yeah. Um, and they get really <laughs> mad about it. And yeah. Like, I, I think there is that tendency as a creator 
um, to just automatically knee-jerk dismiss. And I, I think that's also people don't like being wrong. People don't like admitting, yeah, I messed up on this. I think it's important to, you know, kind of be accountable for your own work. I don't, but at the same, and I'm kind of, I know I'm kind of flip-flopping between arguments here, um, and that's just that great spectrum of, I feel that there is a lot of times where you are not responsible for what other people feel about your work, flat out. Like, you don't you don't have control about their emotions. You are not responsible for their feelings. Um, but at the same time, you know... I think you're responsible for your own... Yeah, you are, you're responsible, like, if you put out trash and terrible things, yeah. like, in hate speech, you're responsible for that. You're not above criticism. Yeah. You're not above hearing people say, this is how it impacted me. One of the things that's interesting about talking, you know, talking about fiction and crafting a character is that um, I got into kind of an argument, um, uh, but I guess I guess more like a debate because I um, I reviewed a book and I I didn't hate the book, but I, I hated the character development. Oh yeah, um, and um, so went back and forth with the author and what he was saying was, well, well, these are bad guys. Of course they're going to do bad things. And I said, but you didn't even handle the evilness, you know, responsibly. Yeah. Like you, you know, how, okay, if you have a bad guy doing something to your good guy, your good guy needs to act a certain way. That's, that, that shouldn't be. Uh, as offensive because honestly like when we look at something um this is a great example talking about disabilities but it was literally a few seconds of guardians of the galaxy where uh rocket is formulating the plan because he's he's the mastermind Mm -hmm. and he tells them to go off and get that guy's prosthetic leg it was like a, a couple seconds worth of movie time and it was a punchline because then at the end of it, he says, oh, I didn't really need it. I just thought it was funny right? because it was something he was doing to somebody who was in prison. So he was, it was something he was picking and mocking on this evil person. Sure. But it came across to people who are disabled as highly offensive. Well, and I think that's the difference in experience because like, you know, just being and and I'm not. I'm not saying this is my experience and it's totally 100%, but I can, I understand that. Like I was on crutches for a thing and like people would steal my crutches and it's like, are you, you know, it's so insensitive to just be like, Hey, you know, you know, that thing you need to uh, function as an, like in the best way you can. Yeah. We're going to take that away for you for a joke. Like I, I totally understand where they were outraged about it. And you know, when you when you pointed it out, like it didn't honestly it didn't occur to me, like oh that's a thing, yeah. So, I mean that's even my own privilege of I right. It's a different ableism, yeah. like you know you you have different things that that you're can you know that come to your mind. Like I have, um, you know I have maybe more compassion about mental illnesses because of what I go through. Sure. So when I watch something like Black Box. 
I might be super hypercritical of it. Like, right. you better get this right, TV people. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if they don't, they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you made the point of saying that, you know, your experience, even with the same disease, is different than your mom. And, you, you know, you obviously were around it. You could have had expectations of, no, this is the way I'm supposed to progress right now. That actually, uh, yeah, that actually hampered what, for getting a diagnosis and treatment for me, is because I, and I think this is a tendency for people uh, with depression and anxiety, is you, you learn to minimize. You're like, you know, I was in a bad relationship and, you know, some terrible stuff happened, but at least, you know. I didn't get told I love you and then tossed down the stairs. Like, there's that natural tendency to be like, and I think with mental illness, um, because it's not really looked at as an illness, it's just kind of something you step out of. Um, and people are like, oh, I was sad once. I had depression. It's like, not not quite. Uh, and so I think there's this idea that you can willpower, willpower your way out of it. And if you just look on the bright side, and so my my um, for years, I was just like, well, I'm not as bad as that, so I don't need help. Um, when really, like, I was just shooting myself in the foot because I didn't get help because I was minimizing my own issues. Right, it's that invisibility of the illness. Right. Um, because uh, actually, a friend of mine just went through. Um, a, a procedure to have a gigantic mass removed from her ovary. And so she took to Twitter and she began writing a column about uh, women's health and endometriosis and all of these different things because of her own personal journey and her discovery right. about how much wrong information there was out there. Sure. Because it's, you know, it's Twitter. People will chime in and go, oh, that's not what my doctor told me 15 years ago. I was told this. Right. And it's like, oh, my God. You know, the, she, she became a warrior for delivering the just... Most up-to-date uh, information. Yeah, just, you know, to say, look, there's, you're not alone, first of all. Mm-hmm. is one of, you know, the, the type of message that somebody like this likes to get out there. And, um, you know, the, like you're sharing your story right now, and I talk about my problems all the time online. And um, the when it's something invisible, you know, like you don't know if a woman has mm-hmm. endometriosis by looking at her. What can you tell? Right. You know, it's not, it's, it's not somebody walking with crutches or it's not somebody with an eye patch or, you know, the, the human body is just hiding so much. And ableism is something that a lot of people are becoming hypercritical of right now. This, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a new year for us. And, uh, I just think that when it comes to, especially our entertainment consumption, Fans are pointing this stuff out, and they're going to call people out on their shit. Oh, yeah, and I love that. Um, so, Robin, before I let you go back to to your life, um, what are the things that you want people to know uh, it, when they're creating characters and, you know, considering these invisible illnesses? Um, I think it's, it's a lot more complicated than... Uh, what one might think. Um, and I don't, I honestly, I don't feel that, um, 
I don't know that, you know, observing it through documentaries or um, movies is adequate research. Um, I think that's a tendency because it's easy. Um, but it's not, it doesn't, those are all carefully edited to be a particular idea or get to a particular goal. But those are maybe not the most accurate. They're maybe not the most, um, uh, you think they're sanitized? Yeah. Like, I, I think... If you, I mean, there's really, like, if you, people really, and especially for movies and all of those things, they're really uh, edited down to, like, it ends on the high note, where you're like, yes, not everything is terrible. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that that would resonate with people who are going through that. Um, and I, I feel like, I don't. I don't really feel like those are the most accurate and I'm always like more critical of it because it's just like, ah, oh, that's, that's not reality. Um, and I think when you're creating a character, you, you know, there is going to be some conscious editing. Like you can't put in the full range of experience in a 24 page comic book because that's, oh, let's be honest, that's not doable. Um, but you can you can try like you can try to factor in okay you know if this person is anxious how is that going to impact like are they going to are they really going to be a superhero that fights in the middle of a city if they have agoraphobia like you know how you can do it in a way that better impacts and better reflects the complexity of the situation and um, what would be your final recommendations on on comics or or TV shows or something that you really enjoy because you think that the characters are, are written well? Sure. Um, I think, um, and I will I will admit I do not have cable, so I'm not I am not up to date on a lot of TV shows. Um, I think at the moment, uh, question, questionable content. Uh, Jeff Jackies or Jeff Jakes, however pronounces his name, um, uh-huh. is doing a really amazing job um, with his character Faye. Um, he uh, because she's going through a thing where she's going through some alcoholism, and I know in comics, especially web comics and slice of life, you know, kind of haha, it's got a punchline. Like, you can jump the shark really easily and kind of glaze over. Like, you can be like, this bad thing happened, but it's not, you know, and then it's all right by the next week. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm thinking entirely of control deletes when they, when the uh, creator did the miscarriage storyline, and then it was just over. And then it was never reflected in any, like, it, and I don't, like, I, it was so sanitized to, like, this is a thing that happened, and we're over it, and the next week is a joke. Um, I, I really like how questionable content is handling, you know, drinking too much alcohol, like, and getting hospitalized for alcohol poisoning. And, yeah, there's a joke with that, but it's kind of in that black humor, 
sort of. I think, yeah, I think comedy can still yeah, um, deliver. I, I, I think you can still deliver, um, you know, like you're saying, something that's serious. Oh, definitely. Um, that really um, handles it well. Um, I, True Detective. Holy crap. Like, the character development and those stories and, you know, kind of that... And it's, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm dead. I don't really remember their names, I just remember the actors. Yeah, Rust. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, Rust, okay. Like, his, his character of, like, and... He's the one that had the trippy, like, philosophical tangents, right? Yeah, the really nihilistic tangents in the end. But I think... Like, that, like, his character development was really interesting because, you know, you could you could see, like, mentally he was not doing well by the end. Um, but he, was, he wasn't doing well in the beginning, but he also wasn't, like, it kind of progressed. And you could see that. And the, like, the complexity of that and his partner, um, Woody Harrelson's character, um... You know, yeah, yeah. I really liked uh, the wife mm-hmm. character. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel terrible that I don't. I, I didn't. Sure. You know, I, I didn't like the show enough to remember who they are. Yeah. Um, I just remember as Michelle Monaghan. Yeah. Um, but I, she was actually my favorite part of the show. Yeah, because those those situations they're complex. Um, I love The Walking Dead, the comic. I don't. I'm not a huge fan of the TV show. Like it's fine, but it's just not. It's not. It doesn't hold a special place in my heart. The comic does, um, and I like the comics because they are they are really complex, and they do address like if like the right to suicide. Like, do you have that right in the end of the world? Like, and your sister just died. Like, what what do you do? Like, and and that kind of. It it was better able to show the nuance and even the love triangle was handled better in the comics, I would think, um, because it was very, you know, it it was it seemed a lot more genuine than the TV version. And where can people find information about you and your art? Um, I am found on Twitter uh, at Robin Seal. Um, I post most of my art and news up there. Um, you can also find me on my website, noodlyappendage.com, and that is, like, touched by his noodly appendage. Um, so, that's how you can reach me. (laughs) Well, I'm, you know, I'm really proud that you were comfortable enough to share so much about your personal life Uh, on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's really, I'm sorry I wasn't, I got off on tangents, but... That's okay. That's what, you know, that's what conversations do. Sure. Um, well, uh, you guys definitely go check out uh, Robin Seal's artwork and, uh, you know, hire her. And when she's well, you will hopefully see her at conventions. Um, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not completely 100% sure on my own convention schedule. Every, basically everything on mine just is tentative. So uh, just stay uh, in touch with me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber and at amberunmasked.com. I'm, uh, I'm posting uh, my schedule and stuff there. And, of course, there's the new Patreon 
if you uh, can support me, if you can share the link, that would be great. It's patreon.com slash amberunmasked. And that way you can uh, help keep Vodka Clock going and help me do things like uh, pay for web hosting, which is hella expensive for me right now. So um, I really appreciate all of that and the sharing of the links. Uh, it makes a big, huge difference. So thanks again, Robin. Thank you so much. <laughs>